It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode includes discussion of the murder of children and child sexual abuse. On the murder sheet, we're big believers in documentary evidence and records requests. We've gotten a ton of information on some of the cases that we cover from submitting and filing records requests and then looking through the documents that we obtained and basically trying to figure out what the story is and what the documents can tell us. As it pertains to the Delphi case, we saw one avenue where we could potentially obtain some documents being around Kagan Klein's time incarcerated at the Miami County Jail. So we filed some requests. We got back some documents. We're going to basically take you through what we received and what it tells us about his time being incarcerated. To be more specific, the documents we received are specifically about 
his commissary account, how much money he has in it, a little bit of insight into what he might be using it for, and it also pertains to his visitor's log. In other words, it tells us who has been visiting Kagan and how often they've done so. In addition to that, we've also got an opportunity to actually speak with one of the people who's had a video visit with Kagan, and we will share some of her insights with you as well. My name is Anya Kane. I'm a journalist. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. I'm an attorney. We first connected while looking into the Burger Chef murders, an Indiana cold case. Together, we built a spreadsheet documenting hundreds of cases of restaurant-related homicides. That original spreadsheet gave way to our podcast, The Murder Sheet. Now we maintain that same research-centric, investigative approach as we look into all sorts of homicides, including unsolved cases, historical crimes, and, of course, restaurant murders. We don't just chat about the headlines. Our podcast is a platform for our journalism. The Murder Sheet focuses on investigative reporting, thoughtful analysis, thorough research, and in-depth interviews. We're the Murder Sheet. And this is The Delphi Murders, Kagan Klein in Jail. So first, let's talk about Kagan Klein's commissary records. In the United States, commissaries are basically like little stores within jails or prisons. For inmates who aren't causing trouble, these can be a bit of a lifeline because they can buy snacks or even personal items at commissaries. By getting a job in prison or getting sent money from family and friends, inmates can build up basically a personal trust fund of sorts that they can leverage into purchases. There are, of course, rules about what inmates can or cannot buy, and a lot of this is dependent on good behavior, but that's a quick overview of how this all works. Now, back in our September 1st, 2022 episode, The Delphi Murders, talking to Keg and Klein, we told you that he demanded that we drop money into his commissary account in exchange for him granting us an interview. We obviously declined that request, but it got us thinking. What can Kagan Klein's spending habits tell us about his experience in jail so far? So, through a records request, we received Kagan Klein's commissary records from August 20th, 2020 to September 21st, 2022. These can tell us a few things about his cash flow in jail. But there's a lot they can't tell us. The biggest thing they can't tell us is what exactly he was spending his money on. The transactions are actually each listed by type. Secure deposits refer to the act of someone putting money into the account. EPRs appear to be electronic payment requests, meaning that those get taken out of his account when he tries to purchase something at the commissary. 
There's also medical copays for prescriptions and ERFs, which appear to be some sort of refunds. And then there were also items that are just labeled meals. That seems self-explanatory. But these are not receipts that list his individual purchases, just an overall barometer of his spending habits. So let's start by checking in on Kagan Klein at the beginning of his incarceration. He's then a 26-year-old man who's just been arrested for a wide range of crimes against children. He's going from a life where he's essentially free to do what he wants to an existence where he's going to be living, eating, and sleeping in a jail. On August 20th, 2020, the day after Kagan Klein's interview with Detective Vito and Deputy Clinton, Klein received a secure deposit of $50, followed by another $50 on August 23rd. He ended up receiving a prescription in jail on August 21st that cost $7 with his copay. He spent a dollar on August 24th at the commissary. Then, on August 26th, he started spending big, dropping $54.08 in the commissary. Now, let's go off script so we can get a bit more broad and look at his overall spending patterns. So, maybe it makes sense to start off big. Let's look at the big picture and look at how much money Kagan Klein got in secure deposits and through the mail in each year that he's been incarcerated. So, in 2020, he was arrested in August, and for the rest of the year, he accrued $470 in total. Now, in 2021... He was actually incarcerated for the entire year. And he received for that year a total of $2,906. But I want to stress that it seemed like uh, a great deal of that money that he received was concentrated in the early months of the year. For instance, he received $300 on January 4th, 2021, $150 on January 12th, $200 on March 14th, and so on. And by the end of the year, the amounts that were being deposited in his account were more like uh, $11 or $50. And then for this current year, 2022, he's so far gotten $1,589. And of course, the year's not over yet. It's currently October. So there's still a few months where he could, I guess, get some more money. But I think it's very interesting what you just pointed out, Kevin, because it really doesn't seem to be a a lot of consistency with the money he's receiving. It seems to kind of come in fits and starts. There's times where he's getting mostly $50. There's times where it's going up to $100, $200. But uh, some months he's getting one payment. Other months he's getting up to six. So it sort of feels like it's all over the place. Another thing that really jumped out at me from all of this is you will recall, of course, that he demanded hundreds of dollars from us for an interview. And a lot of people, including us, wondered if he had some sort of cottage industry going and that he was flush in cash. And he's not flush in cash. In fact, as of September 21st, 2022, he had a balance of 36 cents. So this is a person that if he received a fee of a few hundred dollars to do anything, that would be actually a life-changing amount of money for him. And to get the timeline straight, we last communicated with him via text on August 30th. So that was right around a point where he was definitely hurting for money. And I think he was trying to start a cottage industry based on what he told us and based on what uh, the sense we got from other people. 
uh, that he was very much trying to raise funds quickly. And, and that seems to be coming from a place of desperation where he was running out of money. He actually, on August 30th, someone put $50 into his account and that raised his total up to $50.38. So he, he's been, he's been kind of all over the place though. I mean, I'll just note this uh, just to kind of go month by month. Um, in February of 2021, he received one payment of $100. That's it. Then in March, he received one, two, three, four, five, six total payments, including two on March 28th alone that amounted to $150. So we're not necessarily, we're seeing a consistency of money rolling in, but not a consistent amount and certainly not a consistent payment schedule necessarily. Um, one thing that these records don't tell us is who is paying him, who is doing the secure deposit. We don't know. Um, there's a couple of people you could speculate about, uh, family members, friends, people he's contacting with on the outside who he's, you know, begging for money essentially. But uh, it's certainly not something where it seems like someone's giving him something consistently. And actually there were two separate occasions where he received money not through a secure deposit, but through the mail. Someone literally mailed him money. And on one occasion, the amount he received through the mail was actually $200, which for Kagan was a pretty substantial amount of money. Yeah, those two unusual aberrations to the payments, which mostly, other than those two, were all secure deposits to his account, occurred on August 2nd, 2021, when he got $20 from the mail, and then February 1st, 2022, when he got $200. Why did he get them? We, we don't know. We can't tell you. All we can just give you is the numbers and... Uh, kind of we can see where we go from there but i think your point about 2021 the early half of it being the time when he was most uh receiving you know substantive payments consistently bears out and it starts to kind of dwindle you know definitely definitely by autumn of that year it's dwindling quite a bit yeah i mean just looking at in june of 2021 on June 7th, June 14th, June 21st, June 28th, on each of those days, he got $100 for a total of $400 for the month. And then we go into July. July, he got three deposits for a total of $125. And then take take December of 2021, he gets a total of $61 in two payments on December 9th and December 19th. So whoever was supplying Kagan with large amounts of money in the beginning of the year appears to have had second thoughts about it or maybe didn't have the resources any longer. One thing I'd be curious about, and I don't even know if this is possible, maybe somebody who works in, uh, you know, in prison systems or, or might have a or might have some personal experience with that could tell us uh, if if it's a situation where he could have possibly dipped out of his own accounts somehow or like have some sort of payment structure that his lawyer could set up for him through his own money but then he runs out or something i don't know he makes a few claims that we're going to talk about later in the episode about his financial status that kind of we don't really know what to make of either way but uh, i wonder if this has to be coming from other people or it could be for example i'm this is a kind of a silly comparison but when i was in college you could have like kind of a tab uh where you could buy like snacks at vending machines and stuff and sometimes i would you know, I might I might have like a certain amount put on there, but then I might dip into my my own college bank account to add more so I could have more late night pretzels or something. So like 
I wonder, I know with in, in inmates, incarcerated people are typically not allowed to have their own money. It all has to be done through this sort of system. But does that mean that they're completely prohibited from accessing their money in any way, like to get commissary items or how does that work? And it'd be interesting to know if anyone has a good sense about where these payments were coming from. If it was from outside people, was this family members? Was this friends? Were this people who were trying to just communicate with him for, for their own interests? Certainly as uh, we're discuss a bit later, he does make some claims where some of this money comes from. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. He says at one point that at least a portion of these funds were coming from his father, Tony Klein. Whether or not that's true, who knows? As we've established on previous episodes of our show focusing on the Delphi murders, Kagan Klein is a man who is uh, has been charged with pretty heinous crimes against children, being an online predator, essentially. And he often has uh, trouble uh, telling the truth, seemingly. You, you have a lot of times where he's caught in a lie in police interrogations, uh, and, you know, when, when someone's in a desperate position, you know, being incarcerated, clearly not having a lot of money, you know, you get a sense that perhaps they have a, a reason to lie to downplay their own crimes or to get what they want from other people. So we always really stress to our listeners that it's very important to just, you know, keep keep that in mind and keep a, a very large <laughs> grain of salt uh, at all times when you're when you're hearing claims directly from Keg and Klein. I think that about covers it in terms of what we know about his commissary account. But as we said, we also obtained records of who exactly was visiting Kagan Klein and how often they made those visits. We were even able to reach out and get some comments from one of those visitors about what those visits were like and what motivated her to make them. And we will be back in just a moment with those details. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle. But it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet, and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's ro.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We obtained a copy of Kegan Klein's visitor log from January 1st through September 26th, 2022. Now, one thing is important to mention at the outset is that Kagan Klein's visiting rights and privileges appear to have been temporarily suspended after August 30th. Uh, it's our understanding that perhaps some of those privileges have been returned to him. We're not entirely sure of that, but it is important to note again that his visiting privileges were suspended after August 30th. Our log only covers through September 26th, but there are no visits recorded on that log after August 30th. All visits prior to May 12th were classified as pending. Jail authorities told us that this means that, for whatever reason, these visits never actually happened. So one note about the records that we obtained We've reached out to everybody who was on the visitor list and who was who was listed in these visits. But, you know, we got mostly back no comments or no responses. And given that these are private individuals, we don't feel super comfortable naming them at this point without kind of talking with them and getting some sort of on the record statement. So for now, we're just going to be uh, referring to them as, you know, basically visitor number, whatever. And uh that's just because we don't, you know, I think Kevin and I have talked about this a lot. And, and I think people within the community who follow the Delphi case have, have kind of, there's been a lot of uh, concern and consternation over why are people speaking with Kagan Klein? Is, is, could this be problematic for the case? Could it be helpful? What's going on? And just given how complicated the situation around that is, I think we just would rather you know, use pseudonyms for now and, and basically uh, hope that more people will want to go on the record eventually. During this time, Kagan Klein received visits from a total of five people. A sixth person had two visits with Kagan listed as pending. But again, jail authorities have told us that that means these visits never occurred. One of his visitors is someone in the past we have referred to as Girlfriend A. This is a person he was in some sort of a relationship with at the time of his arrest. Uh, this individual visited him once. There is another woman who had two visits with Keg and Klein. And again, most of the people we reached out to, for the most part, either did not respond or declined to comment. There is another woman on the list who had a total of 40 visits with Kagan. And her 40 visits with Kagan ranged from June 30th to August 28th. We reached out to her through a number of phone numbers we found for her, and she never returned our calls. 
And that person by far had the most visits with Kagan Klein. So we can call her, I think, visitor number one. The person with the second most video visits is Kagan's father, Tony Klein. Tony had 12 visits with his son. He had an additional 11 visits listed as pending. And again, jail officials tell us that that means that those visits did not actually occur. Tony Klein's earliest scheduled pending visit was on February 26, 2022. His earliest actual visit was on May 12, 2022. And his last recorded visit in these logs was on August 15, 2022. And I'll just note here for the record that uh, Tony's last visit was on August 15th, and it was on August 19th that Kagan Klein was temporarily placed into the custody of the Indiana State Police. So for those of us who read the transcript that uh, Kagan Klein, of the interview that Kagan Klein gave to HLN's Barbara McDonald, this news might come as somewhat of a surprise. In that interview, which occurred, I believe, in December of 2021, Kagan Klein told McDonald that he basically had become cut off from his father, that they were estranged. But let's keep in mind that that comment very well could have been true at the time the interview was given. Because, again, that interview was given in December 2021, and there wasn't even a pending visit until the end of February 2022, or an actual video visit until May 12th. Those visits are months after the McDonald interview. So it seems like a fair assumption that there was some sort of break between them. Whether that was due to estrangement on a personal level or other more strategic choices, that's up for anyone's guess. But I will say that after Tony's first visit with his son on May 12th, he was a pretty regular visitor, never seeming to let more than a couple of weeks go by without a visit. The longest gap I'm seeing between visits is... Tony visited him on June 2nd, then didn't visit him again until June 23rd. So he became a fairly regular visitor. It really makes us wonder about the nature of their relationship and how it's changed over time. And if there was an estrangement in the latter part of 2021 that was mended early in 2022, what exactly did that look like? Or or was it not an estrangement, but some sort of, you know, other reason for the gap, essentially? Kagan Klein is Tony Klein's only biological son that we know about. So, I mean, you would think that there would be, you know, have been a consistent sort of presence throughout this. And and the fact that Kagan said differently in the HLN interview is interesting. But it's also interesting that things seem to have rebounded to a certain extent. Um, And of course, you could read into the timing of Kagan Klein going into ISP custody. But it's important to note that it seems like all of his visits got shut down after August 30th so perhaps that's maybe more relevant than than the custody timing we, we just don't know but we can say that there hasn't been a visit between tony and kagan that appeared in our records since august 15th there very well could have been one in the last few days and that would not be covered in the records we obtained so it's certainly not conclusive the final person who had visits with kagan klein during this time frame is a woman named Kelly Brown. She had six visits with Kagan Klein during this time frame. And the reason why we are giving her name is she actually spoke with us on the record about those visits. 
why don't we uh, describe a bit of how Kelly Brown appears in the records, especially compared to the other visitors that Kagan Klein received later on? Uh, Kelly had a total of six visits with him. They were on May 15th, May 20th. Uh, there are three visits listed on May 24th. And then there's a considerable gap. And her final visit is on June 26th. And during the period of these early visits, she's virtually the only one having visits with him. But by the time of the June 26th visits, there are other women waiting in the wings, so to speak, because after that, Kagan is having visits with some of these other women we've alluded to. So it's interesting that she kind of came in first and then other people started picking up on that. And Kelly told us a bit more about her motivations and and sort of her thinking in doing this. And and we'll let you hear from her. We interviewed her um, and we'll be sharing some clips from that. Now, obviously, as we've said, we always like to have at least two sources to verify everything we put on the show. But in the case of these video visits, the only people who were really there were Kelly herself and Kegan Klein. And Kegan Klein is not talking to us. So the only person who is a part of those exchanges who is available is Kelly. So keep that in mind that what you're about to hear is her sole opinion and her sole judgment and analysis of what happened and what it potentially meant. But we can say that we have verified for a fact that she definitely did have these meetings with Kagan Klein. Yes, she certainly met with him. And some of the things that she states are borne out by the records we obtained, such as the fact that she came in first and then a group of other women uh, sort of started visiting him at, at a bit of a later date. So um, things like that, we can corroborate. Things that really are more about her subjective opinion, you know, that comes from her. The first thing we wanted to know from Kelly was why did she even begin having communication with Keg and Klein? What motivated her? The intention behind me wanting to find out who Kagan Klein was is that it was crystal clear obvious because for myself, even when law enforcement was saying this isn't social media, this has nothing to do with the catfishing. I always believed that it had something to do with Libby's phone. And so my initial feeling was, who is Kagan Fly? And I've always been into true crime, even as a kid playing the game of Clue and um, just mystery. And I, I really wanted to know, who are you? And my intention really was to find out who is this? Because it was very crystal clear, obvious, that everything I had ever thought about the internet access is real. And there and there you are. I want to know who you are. Uh, Kelly also spoke with us about how she worked to try to build some rapport with Kagan Klein. It was an unspoken eye contact, nonverbal. Uh, I know you've got something to do with this, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about you like red or green apples. And he said he always wanted to be a chef or an actor. So we would talk about food. And then he would always mention how much he wanted to be an actor. And I said, well, Megan, in a lot of ways, you are an actor. 
character. You had all those characters, Anthony Johnson, who would just look at me. We'll note that I think, in our view, maybe something as uh, hard to define and as subjective of, of a vibe or eye contact with another person isn't necessarily super indicative. But we understand that, you know, this is Kelly's experience and she's sharing that with us. And we were not there to witness it. Kelly is the one who did. Kelly did tell us one thing that we found somewhat interesting, given Kegan Klein's very documented habit of, of lying or evading questions and whatnot. And that was her opinion that Kegan Klein could not keep a consistent story going, even on somewhat trivial matters. Uh, common denominator, too, was he might say um, kind of a flip-flop sort of a thing like, um, you know, I found new ways to spice uh, up my ramen. And then like a few days would go by and I would say something like, are you going to have your ramen again today? What are you going to put in it today? He said, I hate ramen. Like really this bizarre, this, this flip-flop. After just uh, a relatively short period of interacting with Keg and Klein, Kelly had a pretty strong opinion about what sort of a person he was. After about seven to ten days of interacting with him, you just know there's something deviantly wrong with him. Kelly said that Keg and Klein also spoke about his possible plans for post-incarceration life. She said that they talked about what he'd do later, um, she actually asked if he would move back in with his father, Tony Klein. Kagan said that he wouldn't because he and his father were not close. And he also talked about possibly living on the streets of Hollywood in California. But he would say to me things like, will you hold my hand if I go to prison? Will you send me money for commissary? Will you still be my friend when I go to prison? What do you make of him asking if she would hold his hand? Yeah, it sort of seems like you could read that as a kind of a display of emotional manipulation, kind of stressing how vulnerable and sad he is and he needs comfort and he needs a woman to to hold his hand through all of this. Um, it sort of speaks to somebody who is, is sort of willing to display some facets of emotional manipulation to get what they want from someone else. Yeah, and frankly, it feels like the same sort of emotional manipulation he used as Anthony Schatz, where he tried to make the people he was communicating with feel that they were uniquely important and only they could give him what he needed and they were special. And that just seems to be part of his playbook. He he, he even to a certain lesser degree attempted that with us because it was a lot of like don't you want the story it's the you know this is the biggest story ever you know and you could have it on you you know and it's like eh. i mean it it, it is kind of it, it's a pretty obvious tactic when you're sort of looking at it as, as a p pattern of his behavior but i think in the moment i think when some people are communicating with him it can feel a bit more you know like he's very focused on you and personal and and it's interesting he did also let Kelly know that his father did not approve of Kagan talking with Kelly. So that made Kelly uncomfortable. But he also told Kelly how it made him feel when he got letters from people in jail. He would tell me, too, I love it when I get mail. When they call my name, I feel like a star. Kelly initially told us that she cut things off with Kagan, but 
she could not get him off her mind for a while after that. And so she reached out to him again. And that's borne out by the records uh, that we received, indicating that most of her discussion happened, you know, kind of relatively back to back. And then there's a much later call in in late June. Uh, Another thing that Kagan told Kelly that is borne out by the records is that he said something to the effect of like, you know, I'm talking to a couple of girls now, but don't worry, you're my main one. And that certainly follows his visitor log. But something happened that upset Kagan and made him decide to cut off things with Kelly. Unfortunately, one of the letters that he had mailed me, I had a small group of people that I had shared that letter with. And one of the people shared the letter with somebody they probably shouldn't have. I'll never know. And they made a video out of the letter. And one of these different women that were chirping him told him, Hey, I saw your letter on YouTube. And he was pissed off. He said, how could you do that? I thought you were mine. Surely, why did you do that to me? And then he blocked me, and that was it. That was it. As Kelly said, this letter, which she has verified, is out there. We were able to get our hands on it. And we'd like to share a few excerpts from it for whatever insights they might give us into what Kagan Klein is like. So we'll just kind of essentially read to you from the letter the portions that we find the most interesting and the most pertinent to our understanding of the case. Kevin will read excerpts from the letter and we will use our sound effect to indicate when he's quoting from the letter and when, you know, when we're just speaking off the cuff. Uh, the the first page just strikes me because you have Kagan in handwriting that looked very similar to the handwriting that we received in the letter from him. Um, and of course, Kelly has verified this, so we feel comfortable sharing this, this letter as valid. Uh, but the first page has um, K plus K with a heart next to it. He, this man uses a lot of smiley faces as well. So just just kind of giving you a note about the sort of writing style that he's trying to affect here. Very kind of sweet and innocent and, you know, aw shucks a little bit. That's kind of the tone, which is very interesting. Different than what we received with him. It was Our conversation with him was, was much more adversarial, but um, in, in this situation, a bit of a different tone. I know I got to get out of Indiana. Problem is my ex took everything I owned, including my life savings when I got locked up. So when I get out, I'll have nothing and hopefully not be homeless. Interesting that homelessness comes up a few different times. Kelly mentioned him talking about being homeless in Hollywood and California. You have um, him bringing up homelessness here. And you have, you know, just a living situation where he seemingly was at least living with his father in 2017 uh, in the immediate aftermath of the murders in Peru, Indiana. Just kind of a lot of concern you see with him throughout all of this with where he's living, who he's living with. Does, is he a housed person or not? So I just found that kind of interesting. Uh, and I want to say, frankly, I doubt the business about his ex taking his life savings. Yeah, that yeah that that struck me as phony baloney, too. I think he likes to make people feel he really, really needs them. And so saying, oh, I might be homeless. This is a way of trying to get a person to respond with saying, oh, oh, you won't be homeless. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'd love to hold your hand and hug you. 
Thanks for saying I'm cared about. Lately, I don't feel it. Thanks for getting me books. I appreciate you so much, babe. I'm so glad you came into my life. Sucks the visit cut off after only eight minutes. Still, eight minutes I got to see your beautiful face and smile. So a couple of interesting details here. He's keeping things pretty innocent, but he's starting to kind of verge into some romantic territory about calling her beautiful, talking about her smile, physical attributes. So that's something that I think it's interesting. He's starting to kind of push forward the boundaries of the conversation to a more romantic place. Not a sexual place yet, but certainly romantic. And he's also talking about Kelly purchasing him books or getting him books somehow. So we we actually reached out to Kelly with a follow-up question about, you know, what sort of books she got him. And Kelly clarified to us that uh, she got him the Steve O book. Uh, Kegan Klein apparently noted that he was a fan of Steve O, who is uh, an entertainer, real name Stephen Gilchrist Glover, who uh, participated in the, the Jackass program, I guess. I'm not super familiar with him, but uh, Kagan was a fan, I guess. And um, now that I think about it, I think there's some social media posts involving Steve-O uh, associated with Kagan Klein and Tony Klein. Kagan told uh, Kelly that he was very nervous when he met him, didn't even ask for an autograph. And so um, uh, Kelly, I guess, uh, helped him get the book at some point. So that's the reference to the books, according to her. Again, more ma- manipulation. He He's very sad. He doesn't feel cared about, but she makes him feel cared about. So kind of goes back to what we were saying. And also noting that, you know, one particular visit they had was only eight minutes long. And it's important to note that the records of visits do bear out that in May there was a visit between Kelly and Kagan that was cut short because of a lack of funds in Kagan's account. Yeah, there's a fee for everything in prison, and that goes for chirping or texting with people on the outside, and that also goes with uh, video visits. So it's we're noting all of this. It's details that are perhaps don't seem super important on the surface, but we feel like it adds some credibility to what's being said here and and that at least some of the claims being made here are borne out. It always really helps. This is why we love records as opposed to just talking to people sometimes because you can really look and see, yes, this is exactly what happened. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? 
Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. My days are really the same every day. Watch TV and read. They got these books called Harlequin. They're love stories. They're my favorite. I read a bunch of them. They got these Amish books I enjoy a lot. Frankly, I had no idea that there was a subgenre of Harlequin romances devoted to the Amish. But it turns out that there is, and it's actually very popular among that audience. I even found an article online written by Patrice Lewis, who writes Amish romance novels, describing what the appeal of these books are. And I I find this interesting because I've never read one of these books. So this is what uh, Patrice Lewis wrote. What I enjoy most about Amish love-inspired books is the values they affirm. Rural or small-town settings, close family ties, a simple faith to sustain, raising and preserving food, hard work, and a do-it-yourself attitude. Characters who respect community ethics. They all combine to make these romances close to my heart. And we'll include a link to that in our show notes. Anya, does that description to you sound like something you would think to associate with Kegan Klein? No, but it's it's a really fascinating glimpse into his mindset because you have two options. You have you have a possibility that Kagan Klein is just telling Kelly what he thinks she wants to hear, that he's a sensitive man who even reads romantic novels and, and, and does not care that those are typically gendered as, as female. He, he, he's willing to do that. He, he enjoys love stories. He enjoys even very wholesome love stories about the Amish. And that's all just a play to manipulate Kelly. But you also have the possibility that he's being entirely sincere here. And in that case, it kind of speaks to maybe some of the things that he doesn't associate with his life or he feels is lacking because you have, you know, he certainly grew up in in maybe a, a small town setting uh, in the Peru area. Kind of everybody knows everybody. It's kind of like that classic small town vibe. But but he is pretty explicit that his family was pretty messed up. So, um, you know, his relationship with his father was very messed up. So the close family ties thing, I wonder if it's if it's maybe a bit of a a reflection on stuff he wanted or feel like he was he felt like he didn't get growing up and and sort of like focusing on on fiction is more of an escape i don't know so either one of those options i think it's pretty interesting now kevin is going to read a few things that appear on different unnumbered pages of the letter and just as a heads up some of this stuff gets somewhat sexually explicit uh so you know there's your warning on the visit you were laying back and your boobs looked great ha ha I didn't want to say that, and you think I was a creep. LOL. Yeah, I hope I don't go to prison. I'm glad you said you'd come see me. Makes me feel good and appreciative you're in my life. Damn, girl, triple D cups. Smiley face. I bet those are nice, and I'm sure your body is perfect. Smiley face. You're gorgeous on our visits. Thanks for saying I look cute. I think I'm not at all. I'm really overweight. Frowny face can't wait to see your beautiful face again smiley face i really like your eyes and mouth also smiley face 
You're adorable. Ask me any questions you want to know also, smiley face. I'll answer anything. So, yeah, we we have, uh, yeah, we have, so now, yeah, now we're seeing more of the sexual content that, you know, in the beginning part of the letter, he's stressing the romance. Now here he's almost trying to see what boundaries he can get past. So he's, I feel like he's introducing the topic of sex, talking about, you know, her breasts in a way that's sort of like, oh, I don't want to come off as creepy. So it's like kind of giving him an out, but he's he's seeing if she'll push back, basically. And I think that's kind of like, this is, I think, <laughs> I think here's where we're seeing the kind of, um, I think here's where we're seeing him start to kind of like get into what he really wants, which is some sort of sexual gratification. Which is some sort of sexual gratification. In addition to kind of fighting off the boredom of being in jail, he's 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 looking for sexual gratification in these correspondences. Kelly originally sort of told us that she didn't feel her communications with Kagan were particularly sexual. We did point out to her that he makes a number of quite sexual comments in the letter to her. And she sort of noted that she always tried to dress conservatively, uh, there is actually a dress code and a code of conduct regarding these video visits. So she said she was trying to uphold that. And, uh, you know, she does wear sundresses, according to her. So she said her shoulders were often exposed. Um, Kelly noted that within the video visits, he would say things like, it looks like you're sporting some double Ds, maybe triple Ds. And her response to that uh, sort of sexual comment was to try to ignore it or, you know, downplay it, basically. Uh and he would make comments about his girlfriend uh, being kinky and things like that. So um, she was very much not interested in, in that sexualization, but he was sort of kept bringing it into the foray. So we're talking about sort of a one-sided thing here, it sounds like. And um, she noted that in her opinion, he would uh, even make mundane conversations sexual. And that's something that we find credible because that's something we uh, understand is sort of at the nature of how he interacts with people, especially women. I'm glad my dad puts dollar sign on my commissary every now and then, or I'd starve. My mom barely speaks to me. I really have no one but my dad, but I guess I don't blame anyone. It is what it is. I got into drugs like weed and pills when I was 12. It was bad for a few years. Then I moved in with my dad. I hated living there. He made me feel worse than dirt. I hated life for a very long time. I got over it for a long time. Moved away. Felt great. Now I'm in jail for the first time and I'm back to being depressed 24-7. This is more uh, you know, manipulation. Poor Kagan. Poor Kagan and also mixed signals on his dad. Uh he hated life because he was living with his dad, not really being very specific about what his dad was doing that was making him hate life. Um, he has no one but his dad at the same time. So this is a very toxic relationship, but it's also the most important one in his life, seemingly. And also his dad is continuing to financially support him. So you kind of have uh, him talking out both sides of his mouth about his dad. Obviously, the, the situation could be very complicated where there are negative and positive feelings between father and son, obviously. But it just sort of speaks to which is it. He's not really giving super clear signs. 
We did ask Kelly a few follow-up questions. She noted that she first opened her account with the uh, jail on May 17th and had her first video visit with Kagan the following day. And she told us that she got her first letter from him on May 23rd. So of this year. So that's the sort of timeline we're talking about. So those are the excerpts of the letter uh, that we felt were most interesting and kind of relevant to the topic of Kagan Klein, who he is, what he's doing in jail. But um, we'll close out with some more statements from Kelly about sort of this whole experience. Kelly also admits to us that, you know, she kind of went into this not with an open mind about Kagan, but sort of very much feeling that he was involved in the Delphi murders and trying to get information about him and and from him about that subject. People want to think, um, you know, what kind of a mind would interact with somebody like that? And I always... I always say, when I was a kid, I loved Diane Sawyer, who's the journalist. And I can remember always being fascinated with the Manson case. And I remember Diane Sawyer sitting across from Charles Manson. And I thought, hey, if Diane Sawyer can do that, I can do this. One thing that I feel like we both keep coming back to, and it's sort of looking over the letter and also Kelly's experience that she's talked with us about doing all this is the idea that Kagan Klein may on some level feel like a star over all of this. He loves the attention is what is what Kelly told us. And and sort of the indication that we got from texting with him ourselves where you have this person who's, you know, sort of making startling demands about money and and talking about how they have the biggest story and, you know, it, it Whenever, whenever someone's talking like that, you know, they seem to very much be deriving some sort of sense of power uh, from their their status, you know, of being in the know about a situation, you know, like a high profile situation like the Delphi case. And, um, you know, playing into that, I think. Kind of feels. Maybe not great, right? Right. No matter what your intentions are. Yeah, so I think that's something that, you know, we think a lot about as people who previously reached out to him and sort of declined to pay him and then the conversation went nowhere and kind of we, we've not we've not spoken with him since. And I think maybe that's something for us all to think about, you know, just as people who are following this case, we definitely want answers. But, you know, there's also the, the fact that uh, this person is is certainly Kagan Klein is very, very uh interesting person if if he's deriving that sort of pleasure and a you know sense of power from you know even even if he's in a jail cell i don't know and let's give kelly the last word here she was motivated in this to try to figure out what kind of a person kagan klein was and in some way figuring that out was even more important to her than trying to get definite answers out of kagan about delphi I would say that the time spent talking about Delphi was 14% out of 100 because it was just me getting to know who are you. And well, I know. We'd very much like to thank Kelly Brown for speaking with us and sharing her experiences about her communications with Kegan Klein. We'd like to thank everybody who helped us received the records from Miami County. And we'd also like to thank our friend Fig Solves, who's been a helpful correspondent to us on the Delphi case. 
We'd also like to thank the listener who suggested that we request these records. Thanks so much for listening to The Murder Sheet. If you have a tip concerning one of the cases we cover, please email us at murdersheet at gmail.com. If you have actionable information about an unsolved crime, please report it to the appropriate authorities. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, that's available at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. If you want to tip us a bit of money for records requests, you can do so at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. We very much appreciate any support. Special thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenley, who composed the music for the murder sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. If you're looking to talk with other listeners about a case we've covered, you can join the Murder Sheet discussion group on Facebook. We mostly focus our time on research and reporting, so we're not on social media much. We do try to check our email account, but we ask for patience as we often receive a lot of messages. Thanks again for listening.